case you don't know, I'm Eilis, and I'm going to be talking today um, as part of our series on the King We Need, and I've been given the Sermon on the Mount. So it's interesting, every time I preach, I don't preach that often, but they seem to be giving me like sections that are longer and harder each time. So I think next time it's going to be like, explain the Old Testament in half an hour or something, isn't it? So uh, anyway, so yeah, not too big a challenge or anything. Now, obviously, the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, two chapters of the Bible. We are going to be dipping in and out of them this morning. So it'd be a really good idea if you've got your Bibles open or your apps open with Matthew chapter 5. Um, and we'll be going, dipping in and out, as I say. As I go through, I'm mostly going to be reading the section that I'm then explaining or talking about, okay, rather than reading it in one great big long whack before we even start. But because I wanted to give you the flavor of it, there's um, a program called The Chosen, and on that there's um, a scene where Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it just helps us to remember that this, these were real words, and actually they weren't just spoken by Jesus at one point, okay, but throughout his ministry they were spoken to his disciples and... Um, they would have been listening, it would have been a real thing, a real event happening at a real point in time. So it is, it's about five minutes long this video, but I just think it's worth it to kind of really set the scene before we dig a little bit deeper. So hopefully, it's going, it's not working, Linda. You told me it would work, it's not working, Linda. Yeah, so, no, I can't play Jesus, can I? That's just wrong. Um, yeah, I'll be one of the disciples. It begins like this, one of the disciples looking really confused. His face doesn't change much. He does awe and wonder at one point, And then back to confusion. Um, yeah. I can't do anything to the lights, I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> I would love to be able to have that magical power, but I don't. Thanks. Oh, oh, okay, right, here we go. Should start. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Thank you. You shall not murder. And whomever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. <laughs> Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Judge not that you be not judged. How is he doing? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. The words are the same as written, but... No, he's saying them. Yes. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And if anyone should slap you on your right cheek, turn and give him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye your father knows what you need before you ask him pray then like this our father in heaven Hallowed be your name. And if anyone should force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock okay not much to cover this morning then so what I want us to think about as we 
come into this is that a lot of the language that is used in these passages is family language. So there'll be lots of brother, sister, spouse language coming through. And Jesus here was talking, his close disciples, he was talking to people of God. He was talking to brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in God. Okay, not to just strangers, not to random people that might have just heard him. And actually, it's not rule book for all of humanity. So what Jesus isn't setting down is a bunch of rules that we have to follow. But it's Jesus' manifesto on righteousness. It's cutting out again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, every time. Right, turn off. So a manifesto is obviously like when there's a general election, the party will come, they'll set out their manifesto. This is what we will do if we are in power. And that's basically what Jesus is doing. He's saying, in my kingdom, in God's kingdom, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to be. This is what it will look like. And actually, this word righteousness means living in right relationship with God and living in right relationship with others. So it's how this world was meant to work. It's how we were meant to relate to God. It's how we were meant to relate to others. Uh, Matthew also makes a lot of links with Moses. So as we're reading, uh, we can see that um, Moses and the people of God went through 40 years in the desert, wandering around in the wilderness. And Jesus has just done 40 days of um, temptation in the wilderness as well. And then Moses goes up on a mountainside. He goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus goes up on a mountainside here and delivers his Sermon on the Mount. And it's a vision, as I was saying, of how God's people are to live and a divine vision of humanity. So God's plan was Eden. God's plan was heaven and earth crossing in this beautiful, special place on earth where there were no barriers between man and God, where we worked, but everything, the, the toil brought reward, where everyone was in harmony with one another, in harmony with God. There was no war, no death, no fighting, no pain and suffering in, the, in terms of how we know it today. And we were supposed to work and live in light of God's presence and his peace. But actually, we know the story, most of us. If you don't, you can find it out. But we chose to go our own way. We would rather be God than do it God's way. And that brought death and it brought destruction. So then God called out a people. And he wanted to have them live his way. And that would be a light to all the nations. They would see how blessed this people were and this amazing relationship they had with God and how differently they treated each other. And that would make all the other nations want God too and want to live that way too. So God revealed himself. He revealed the Torah to, him, to them. And if they lived this way, then all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. So when we think about the Torah... Um, we can, and when, so in this passage, Jesus talks about fulfilling the law. So if we go to Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20, um, 
I'm going to... No, I will read it from the NIV version. So um, it says here, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I've always read this as the Ten Commandments. And if you don't keep those, um, and Jesus was fulfilling them and actually raising the stakes on them, and as we'll see, it's not just do not murder, it's like don't even get angry with anyone. And I was like, oh my word, there's no way we can keep this. So then I had this whole like theory of how you could, you know, Jesus could cover us for that, and he does. Uh, but actually, it's interesting because the word that Jesus would have used is Torah here. So he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. Actually, he's talking about the whole Hebrew Bible. So the Hebrew Bible is in three parts. You've got the Torah, which is um, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Then you've got the Nevim, um, which is the prophets. So they're all the prophets. And then you've got the Ketchivim, which is all the writings and the Psalms. And actually, that is the whole fulfilled will of God there, isn't it? It's not just a list of rules. It is the story of God's people. It's the story of God working with humanity. It's the story of God's deliverance. It's the prophetic dream of where we're going, of, of God's heart for his people. It's the complete fulfillment. It's all the wisdom books of how to live, of how to manage your life, of how to live God's way. So it's that whole thing. And Jesus says that he's come to fulfill all of that. And he's come to help us fulfill all of that. And if we're living the way that he shows us, we're going to be fulfilling God's plan that has been put into motion. So it's not just about um, 10 rules that we have to follow. It's actually about this whole bigger vision and instruction. So Torah means instruction. So it's God's instruction on who is how, how he wants humanity to be, of the story of how he's tried again and again to draw close to be um, revealed as God to people. And it's the revealed will of God for his people throughout history. And again, we were speaking to close committed disciples. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit deeper then. So we've got the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, uh, verses 3 to 12. So we're going to read this passage. So we've got um, he's beginning to teach his disciples. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm going to change the wording slightly. I'm going to go through this quite quickly, because there's rather a lot to cover this morning. But I'm just going to give you a flavor of what I think Jesus was saying through each of these. 
Okay, so I'm going to change the start to you're blessed when. Okay, so rather than blessed are, I'm going to you're blessed when. So you're blessed when you've got nothing else to offer. Because then you know more of God and his rule and reign in your life. You're blessed when you've lost what is most precious to you. That's a strange one, isn't it? Because actually in this broken world, it's actually precious to have loved and been loved. Isn't it? And actually we hurt, but that's because we've loved and we've been loved. And in this broken world, that's actually something very special. And as Christians, we have the hope of eternity, don't we? And we have the hope of seeing those people again. You're blessed when you're content with what you have and who you are. Because then you are proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. We can spend so much of our lives striving to be more like somebody else. Or if I just have that thing. But actually Jesus reveals here that there's a contentment that comes when we just focus on who he's made us to be, who we are in him. And then we know all those much more important things. You're blessed when you're hungry for God because that will be the best meal you'll ever eat and you'll be satisfied. You're blessed when you care because actually when we all care for each other, then God cares for us back, doesn't he? We care for others because he cares for us. So you know God's care so you can care for others. You're blessed when your mind and heart are put right. Because then you can go out into that crazy broken world and you can see him in it. You're blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Because then you discover your place in God's family. You're blessed when you're persecuted Because then you move deeper into God's kingdom. And all the saints and people who were persecuted that have gone before you applaud you. And you're in really good company. And that's what Jesus is saying through the Beatitudes. Again, it's this upside down kingdom, isn't it? When you look like you're nothing. When you look like you've given up everything that the world would count as precious you find what really matters. So then we move on to more specific examples. And here Jesus is talking about what his kingdom will look like. What this kingdom that God had always intended for us as human beings, how he'd always intended us to live. And they talk about the kingdom of the skies. So in Jewish um, thought and belief, um, the kingdom of the skies was above us. Okay, and it's where God, you know, was because he's over and above everything. So it's God's kingdom coming down. So as we live the way that Jesus shows us and reveals to us in the Sermon of the Mount, actually the kingdom of the skies comes down. God's kingdom comes down and it's revealed amongst us. This society will be kind and considerate. It will be respectful It will see others' worth. It will seek reconciliation rather than revenge. And it will put relationships first. So let's take each one of the examples that were given. The first one is murder. I hope you appreciate my little 
diagrams there that I picked for each one. So, um, murder. It just seems like you have to say it in that voice. Murder. Um, so, Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, you fool or raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you, uh, yeah, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I'll tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid um, the last penny. So what would a community that were following these words of Jesus look like? Well, they're going to use their words to build up, not tear down, aren't they? So instead of going to their brother or sister and going, you're an idiot. You're going to speak kindly to each other, and you're going to think the best of each other. You're going to deal with hurts and offenses quickly. You're going to be honest with God and with others. And remember, not all anger is sin. It's, it says later in the Bible, in your anger, do not sin. There are things it's right to be angry about. It's right to be angry about injustice. It's right to be angry about people being abused or hurt. There is a righteous anger. But it's what we do with that that's important. And we're not to build it up and let it fester and become bitter. We're to be wise in our dealings, aren't we? And not hypocritical. Okay, the next one, divorce and adultery. So that's Matthew 5, verses 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's talking to a crowd, isn't he? And he wants to get the message across. So he's using exaggeration. He's using really um, kind of, uh, I can't even think of the word, really excessive kind of examples in order to get the point across. But actually, what was he saying here? So in this society, um, you... You could marry somebody, and then when you were bored with them, you just write a note, and they're divorced. And what would that mean for a woman in that society who has no power? It would mean poverty. It would mean dependence on somebody else, hoping somebody else would marry them or provide for them. So it made them a commodity, didn't it, that could be just almost like given away because they were fed up with them. And it didn't raise the, the um, standard for marriage. So I don't want you to hear, if you've been through divorce or adultery this morning, I don't want you to hear that um, Jesus is picking you out for special attention and going, rah, 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 ultimate sin, rah, rah, rah. 
we live in a broken world, okay? But what he is doing is setting out this dream of a beautiful society, of a beautiful family where it works. And what would this mean? It would mean the most vulnerable were protected. So if you couldn't just get rid of someone because you'd had enough of them, if marriages were healthy and permanent, if no one was cheating on anybody else or even looking at anybody else like that, then it protects the most vulnerable. It gives you safety in your relationships. You can be vulnerable, can't you? You can be your real self if you know that that relationship is permanent and secure and safe. I've put up here, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. No one will know what's going on in your heart. No one will know if you're allowing those little seeds of sin to grow. No one will know if you're looking at somebody and thinking, hmm, quite like the look of that. But what Jesus is setting out is he wants us to have integrity even in the smallest of issues, even when no one can see. It's just between us and him. Are we really living it out? And actually... There's no pride thing. So if you gouged out your eye, people are going to know that you've gouged out your eye. If you chopped off your hand, it's going to be fairly obvious that your hand is gone and you've chopped it off. They might even ask you why you've chopped your hand off. I think the point Jesus is trying to make, would you rather do something obvious than sin? Would you rather get rid of something and other people might notice that you've got rid of something? It might cost you something. It might be a bit embarrassing. But would you rather do that than fall into sin? Actually, if we're living in a loving, safe community, there won't be that judgment. It's a safe place to go, actually, this is an area I'm vulnerable, so I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to choose not to go there anymore. And it's not a law it's between you and God. It's about that integrity. And it's about, I'd rather lose something and other people might notice that, but I don't want to fall into sin in that area. Okay, next one. Um, oaths. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So what would this society look like? People's promises would be kept. You wouldn't need the small print in contracts, would you? Because people would be ultimately honest. You could just trust one another. If someone said yes, they'd do that and they'd be there. You'd know unless something really serious had gone on, they would be there and they would do that. Kids, if the parents said no, they'd know it meant no. Wouldn't be any getting around it, no bartering, no changing of mind. But equally, if the parents said yes, I'll be there, I'll do that for you, they would know that it would be done. That's going to bring about love, stability, and security in family life, isn't it? And we know that stable families give a stable society. It would be a trustworthy and an honest society. 
your yes is yes and your no is no. Okay, an eye for an eye and love for enemies. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Can I just put in there that word perfect is moving towards wholeness and completion. And in the Hebrew, it's an ongoing. So be being made perfect. Be being made complete and whole as your father is complete and whole. So as we live this way, as we live Jesus' commandments, we're being made more complete and more whole and how we're meant to be. It's not a commandment of just go and be perfect like that's possible. So a community that has... This, these commandments at their heart, they're going to seek to serve others. They're going to give more than is asked for. You want my cloak? Have this as well. Do you want that? Oh, have that too. They won't be driven by vengeance. So it's tempting, isn't it, when we're wronged to seek vengeance, but actually this community won't be driven by vengeance. Like their heavenly father, they will show mercy and forgiveness even when it's undeserved or unsought. So God sends his love and his mercy to all of humanity, whether they reject him, whether they accept him or not. The sun shines on them, the rain falls, the crops grow. And we're called to be like that. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that you just accept what they've done and become a doormat. And actually, I I heard something really interesting this week, which is about in Roman society... A soldier could come along and just demand that you carry their bag a mile for them. And then what this is saying, you get to the end of the mile and you go, actually, I'm going to take it another mile for you. You're actually not becoming a doormat. This is not about Jesus saying you just let everyone hurt and abuse you and that's okay. You just take more of it. Actually, it's giving you a dignity within that. So you, you, know, you do what's required of you. That Roman soldier has asked you, but then you say, I am going to choose now to give you more. And that gives you a dignity within that. This is all about a community where all people are treated as equal, all people have equal value. And where you are treated without dignity, God raises you up and gives you dignity. And your value is coming from him so that you can give to others in a way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Right, giving to the needy. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. 
I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So James says, faith without actions is dead. We don't give to anyone. We don't do anything to be noticed, to earn God's favor, uh, to be seen as holy or pious. We do it because God has first loved us. We have his love in our hearts. He's changing us. And those beliefs lead to actions. We don't just practice an outward religion. We don't just pray a certain amount of times a day or in a certain way. And we're not seeking reward or recognition for the deeds that we do. We know that our Father in heaven sees everything we do. And he sees why we do it. And that's enough for us. Prayer and fasting. So Matthew 6, verses 5 to 17. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Okay, and then it goes on to the... Um, the um, Lord's Prayer, um, which you, prob- you may know, you may be able to quote. And then it goes on to fasting. When you fast, do not look somber, verse 16, as the hypocrites do. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. Um, but basically, make it look like you're not fasting. Put on oil. Don't show people what you're going through. So our relationship with God leads to a trust in his goodness, power, and authority. It shows us that actually um, when we trust in God, there is always hope for restoration and forgiveness for ourselves and for others. And it shows us that acts such as fasting aren't about, again, looking righteous. And they're not about trying to bribe God into doing a particular thing. I've given this up, so you have to do that now, God. Or have you seen all that I've given up for you, God? Why haven't you done this for me? But it's about developing a personal relationship with him. You want him more than you want any of the other things. Okay, treasures in heaven. I'm not going to read all of this one because we're going to run out of time. But it talks about not storing up treasures for yourselves in heaven where they can easily be destroyed. Um, I heard someone talking, being interviewed about um, a natural disaster that had happened. And they were just, in a second, everything was gone. Just in a second, I had no house. I had no possessions. I had nothing. And actually, if we put all our security in those things and all our money and all our input into those things, then they can be gone in a second, in a flash. Actually, we are called to be a generous people. And it talks later in the, the, um, in the passage about filling your mind and looking at things that are good and pure and holy, because then actually you'll be meditating on good things 
on wholesome things, on things that are good. And it talks about how you can't serve both God and money. So actually, if we follow Jesus' teaching here, what it means is that we will have undivided hearts. We will be a people of light. Relationship will be right at the heart of everything we do and everything we say. Our money will be used well. It will be in the right place in priority terms. We'll be using it wisely. Okay, again, I'm not going to read this next section. It's a really big one. Worry, judging others, ask, seeking, and knocking. But please take some time at home. It goes through from Matthew 6, verse 25, all the way through to verse 12 in chapter 7. And it's Jesus, we saw it on that video at the start, telling you not to worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. And look around at creation, see how um, it's all been provided for, and actually God will provide for you. It talks about not judging others. Deal with the speck in your own, the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye. It tells you to trust God. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And what would a people look like that followed these teachings? Well, they're going to be a peaceful people. They're not going to be full of anxiety. They're going to know God's peace. They're going to appreciate God's creation. And every time they look out, at the beautiful flowers or the beautiful view, they're going to be reminded that the God who made that didn't have to make it look beautiful. He could have just made a very basic world. But the fact that he's made it so beautiful points to the fact that he's going to look after them and look after every detail in their lives. They're going to be so aware of God's mercy, and that means they're going to be merciful to others, not showing them judgment, not looking to find fault but dealing with themselves first, aware of their humble position before God. And they're going to know and trust that they will be provided for. And then we're nearing the end now, guys, I promise. Matthew 7, verses 13 to 28. We come to the narrow and the wide gates, true and false prophets and disciples. I'm not going to say too much about this, apart from... Jesus says that you'll know by its fruit what kind of tree it is. So before you just blindly follow somebody or blindly do it, look at the fruit. Look at what their lives are like. Be wise. Sometimes people aren't what they seem to be. And as a community, we want to be wise to that, don't we? We want to keep following Jesus But what really struck me about this and really challenged me about this is I know all about the narrow gate, the wide gate, the narrow gate. I chose the narrow gate. I'm following Jesus. But after the narrow gate comes a narrow path. And I don't know that I've always acknowledged that. And what I don't want you to hear this morning is that I'm calling you to loads of effort and loads of religious practices and that it's faith, you know, that you're saved by your works. I don't want you to hear anything like that, but I do want you to hear that challenge from James again, that faith without works is dead. Actually, we are called to a narrow path. We are called to make difficult choices. And it's not easy to follow Jesus. And 
we are going to be different and we are going to stand out. But we want to be those people who've built on solid rock. We want to remain standing when the storms come. And in the message, it puts it really nicely, I think. It says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. So Jesus has set out his manifesto. He's set out a vision for a community where everyone is loved, everyone is valued, there's not a vengeance, there's hope, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's kindness, there's protection. But it's impossible to do by our own efforts, isn't it? And Jesus is the king we need because he's the only one that's made a way and he promised his disciples, they weren't able to do this. And then he said, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to live the way that I have this vision for you to live. The way that God has always intended you to live. And I want to bring us back to this family language. We are a family here today. We're God's people and Jesus hasn't given us a rule book, but he wants us to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. And so we're going to break bread together. And in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us today our daily bread. That's a bit, I'd never really thought about it before, but someone else brought it up and they said, today our daily. Well, why would you ask for daily bread today? If it's daily, you would get it every day. I've never thought about that before. And actually, they suggested that what the Hebrew is saying is actually, give us tomorrow's food today. So there's a lot of talk in Revelation and in the future about this heavenly banquet, which we're called to, this feast that we're called to. And I'm probably putting it really badly, but I'm just hoping that Holy Spirit can help make it clear. But we are eternal beings. And we cannot live this way without God's help. But actually, if there are areas here that you struggle with, whether it's anger or whether it's forgiveness or whether it's giving, we can pray let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That tomorrow's bread, that future bread, when it will all be perfect and everything provided for. Can we have that today, Lord? I need your help with that today. I need your provision today to be able to forgive people like 
it will just happen in, in the future. I need your help to be generous today. I need your help to remember who I am today and who you've made me today. I need your provision today to trust you and not be full of fear. Where do you need tomorrow's provision today? Where do you need to see God's kingdom come today in your life? So as we break bread, the bands are going to come up, just play. No one's going to dig or delve. This isn't about you probing around, trying to find something. If Holy Spirit's highlighting something, you'll know it. And you won't be feeling bad about it. You'll just be aware that that's not quite in line with how God would have you be that he's calling you to something better. And as we break bread, we're just going to ask, in this area, God, would you fill me, Holy Spirit, and would you provide what I need to move forward in this area? Would you bring me into freedom? Would you bring me into wholeness with that?